Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10 through 14. We want to begin with this text tonight. And as we begin to, uh, to do so, I just want to uh, just encourage us regarding uh, what God wants to do in our life together. Because uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, God wants us to have a foundation in our life that allows uh, not just there to be a, a skim coating of something pretty on the outside, but that from the inside out, God has transformed and changed us. And so uh, in our many series we want to do, it's called Building Below the Baseline. And just really, really allowing God to teach and to grow you in your walk with the Lord, in your personal walk, in that part that nobody ever sees, but it shows through uh, over your, the course of your lifetime. And so tonight I want to look at uh, this issue of uh, relationship with God. And uh, so let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Uh, if you'll look there with me and let's read this together. Paul wrote, "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death." if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the, life, of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we're thankful for you. Thank you, God, for the word of God that we have tonight uh, in the Bible. And I pray that, Lord, our faith would be in it, that we would realize the solid rock uh, of your word in our life. And may it truly transform our life, our thinking, Lord, our faith. May it be strengthened as a result. We are thankful for you. Thank you for this opportunity in the middle of the week to get encouraged, energized, and, and with a desire to continue to go forward. Uh, bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this, I want you to think about salvation in the day that you accepted Jesus as your Savior. Without a doubt, I think most of us in here, if you're a believer, would say, the best day of my life was the day I put, uh, accepted Christ as my Savior. Uh, you know, even, even greater than your marriage or the birth of your child, because uh, those things uh, were, are wonderful events in our life. But, but the greatest day, truly, is the day that I accepted Christ. Because I knew from that point forward, it was something that uh, eternally changed for me, uh, and I knew had a brand new relationship with God. And, and what's in, amazing is that this relationship can't be taken away, it can't be lost. As a matter of fact, it has power in it, and the power to change lives. And so uh, I'm just encouraged by this, and I think Paul was too. And if you look back in verse number 9 of our text, uh, we looked at verses 10 through 14, but to back up one verse in verse number 9, it says, And being found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You consider our court system today, and a judge will, uh, has a gavel in his hand, and he, he will declare his verdict on a def defendant. And listen, listen, God is our judge, and one day we will stand before our judge, and we are declared, uh, because of what Christ has done, we are declared righteous before him. Amen. Isn't that an amazing thing? Uh, that when I stand before God, uh, that uh, as a result of the decision I made January 31st, 1988, when I stand before God, I'll stand before Him and He'll bang that, that uh, gavel down and He'll declare not guilty. Man, that's a great thing and that's encouraging and it should be encouraging for us tonight because we have a great hope in that. Look at John chapter 15 and verse number 5 with me because I want you to see that at that moment of salvation, 
God gives us eternal life. And we are, uh, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we eternally is settled this issue of our salvation. But then he goes on in John 15, and he talks about our relationship with him. And he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And so we see especially here that uh, though we're saved immediately at salvation, there is this issue of a relationship that, must, uh, that is developed as we plug into Jesus Christ. And as we plug into Him and we plug into uh, the power of the Lord, we see this thing grow in our life. And that's, that's our desire tonight, is to grow in our walk with Christ. I mean, uh, we are, we're talking about the, the cream of the crop at Hillside Baptist Church that comes on a Wednesday night to be encouraged uh, by the Word of God. And so we recognize that when, um, when we plug into Christ, that we see fruit, we see uh, God's encouragement, we see God's work in our life, and so we want to see that happen on a regular basis. A branch without a vine would soon shrivel and die. And likewise, without Christ, we have no strength or ability to bear food in our, in our walk with Him. So I want you to see uh, one other thing before we get into our message tonight, just as a, by way of introduction, that Christ, because of salvation, we see that Christ is our cornerstone. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. I, I think that that text will be awful hard for you to read, uh, and so I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so when we think about our, Christ's, uh, our life in Christ, we have a great advantage because our life is built on a solid foundation, right? Think about this. Uh, this hymn that Edward Moat wrote, My hope is built on nothing less. In the, in, the, uh, in the chorus he says, On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When we build our life upon Jesus Christ, we experience the fact that Jesus is our cornerstone. And so no matter what storm, no matter what may come our way, no matter what may assail us in our life, we can remain steadfast, sure, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so, and you think about many Christian lives today, I, especially in churches today. As a matter of fact, Brother Josh Lane, our missionary, put something on Facebook, and I, I didn't write it down because it was later in the day, but I just happened to notice that he, he had mentioned something along these same lines, uh, that many churches today uh, worry about the outward polish, but they don't worry about the foundation. Listen, what we want to get at is God wants us to build upon the foundation. Go ahead with our next slide, Brian. I, if, if we recognize that tower. What is that? Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now, uh, Pisa, Italy, Italy is home to this well-known landmark, uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which uh, this, this tower draws tourists, literally millions of tourists from all over the world. They, uh, they, uh, it's really an embarrassing piece of architecture. I mean, you consider this all the time, and you look at the, the time it was started in 1173 and it was finished by 1372. And listen, by the time they completed it, it was already noticeably leaning, and it has continued to lean more and more and more. Does, does anybody know why it leans? 
The foundation goes less than 10 feet in the ground, and it's all soft ground. There's literally no foundation for, for this. As a matter of fact, from, for 11 years, from 1990 to 2001, the tower was closed to the public, and they sunk $25 million into trying to straighten this thing up and shore up the foundation. They were only able to reduce its lean by 16 inches. $25 million project. All because they didn't establish a foundation. Listen, the foundation is essential in our Christian life. The foundation is essential in our walk with God. And that's what we see tonight is the foundation of our relationship is built upon nothing less than Jesus Christ. And so we see this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And so when we talk about the Apostle Paul here, he was, as he penned these words, he was not speaking casually of just knowing about God or knowing that Jesus was real, but he was speaking of an intimate and deep knowledge of God. And the Greek word used for know in this passage means literally to understand, to grasp, or to ascertain, especially to be familiar or acquainted with a person or thing. It is, uh, it is really to know Jesus in an abiding relationship. Jesus, when Paul wrote this, he says to know him in a way that's very intimate, not just to know about him. Matter of fact, James says it like this, even the devils believe there's a God. Listen, it's not about just knowing there's a God or believing there's a God. It's about knowing that, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, knowing who he is and what he's done. And so we, we see, first off, we see that he wants us to know his person. Who is Jesus Christ? Philippians 3.10, this verse, uh, it says, that I may know him. And so we look here, and we see this kind of knowledge of Jesus Christ is far more than an intellectual knowledge about Jesus. I mean, we can study Jesus. He was a historical person. He did some historical events. There were some things that happened around him. But if we don't know him on a personal level, then we miss out greatly. We have the opportunity to develop a relationship with him. Knowing the person of Jesus Christ means that we spend time with him. We are sensitive and obedient to his voice, and we set aside time to know him. There's nothing sweeter than that, is there? That's building that foundation of our spiritual life, is when we spend time to get to know the Lord, it builds that foundation. Religion alone is satisfied with ornate rites. Coming up and kneeling and bowing and repeating high prayers and and having certain things and systems and regulations. And truly, religion is satisfied with those types of things. But a Christian ought to desire to know Christ intimately and personally. We can know uh, biblical boundaries and, and spiritual preferences, yet not know Christ. So my question is, do you know him? Do you know the sense of his conviction? Do you know when he is burdening your heart to spend more time with him? Do you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with someone? This is knowing Jesus. Look at Ephesians 1 with me. Ephesians 1, verse number 15 through 18. The Apostle Paul talks about hearing of the faith of the, the church in Ephesus. And he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling 
and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. F.B. Meyer said this, We may know him personally and intimately face to face. Christ does not live back in the centuries nor amid the clouds of heaven. He is near us, with us, compassing our path in our lying down and acquainting, uh, acquainted with our ways. But we cannot know Him in this mortal life except through the illumination and teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we must surely know Christ, not as a stranger who turns in to visit for the night or as the exalted uh, King of men. There must be the inner knowledge as of those whom He counts His own familiar friends, whom He trusts with His secrets, who eat with Him of His own bread. Do you know Jesus like this? Listen to this quote. I think it's on the next slide, Brian. John Milton said, The end of all learning is to know God and out of that knowledge to love and imitate Him. That's knowing Christ. Think about your relationship if you're married tonight with your spouse. I was talking to the McCartys. They're going to celebrate 60 this year, 60 years of marriage. That's exciting, you know, and others have celebrated similar milestones uh, whether it be uh, 40 years, I think the Gans will celebrate 40 this year, and that's a great milestone. And, you know, we think, uh, I think the Hiltons are at 50 this year. Is that, is my memory serving it correctly? And so, man, there's some great milestones in our church. And so let me encourage our young uh, families, go ask these families what it took for them to endure that long. Amen. Get some wisdom from these, from these uh, silver-haired saints. I hope that's politically correct. If not, just remember you're in a Baptist church. But listen, when a man and a wife have been married for a number of years, they know by instinct what their spouse likes or dislikes. You know without any doubt that you know, there's certain foods that maybe she likes or certain foods that he doesn't like. And, and the husband knows, like I know my wife's favorite flower. I, I know, I, matter of fact, I don't even buy a cologne anymore. I say, you pick out something that you like because it's a lot easier that way. But you know, she has a favorite uh, fragrance and she has a favorite thing. That, and you know, you just learn to know those things. If your wife's a coffee drinker, uh, maybe uh, you know it's biblical for the man, man to, to make the coffee every morning. That's right. All right. Some of you have already know this because he brews. And so you get up and you make her coffee exactly like she likes it. And, and boy, it's, it's just a, it's a good, sweet, intimate thing. But wouldn't you think it weird if a person was married for 20 or 30 years but didn't know anything about their spouse? It would be weird to think that somebody could marry for that long and, and they, they, they would not know what they like or not like or when their birthday was or when their anniversary was. It would be a really weird relationship. It probably wouldn't last very long, amen? But how does a man learn to know his wife like he knows her? Spending time with her. Spending time with her and intimate time with her and, and talking with her and, and taking, making uh, the, his priority uh, everything about her. Knowing the person of Jesus Christ is like that. If a Christian has been saved for a number of years, but still does not know Jesus personally and intimately, there's a problem. And the problem's in his foundation. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know who he is in his person. And so not just knowing his person, but we also must recognize and know his power. Jesus Christ is powerful, Amen. Amen. And we think about that tonight, and I think about it as a church, uh, you know, we cry out and ask God to reveal Himself in His great power. And this is what Philippians 3.10 says, uh, that we may know Him and the power of His resurrection. The Greek word for power is dunamis, which, from which we get the, our English word dynamite. It is a life-changing power that comes from the Spirit of God. 
living within us. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me. That's exciting to me as a Christian. And to, to know that, you know, if I'm struggling with something in my life, that the same power that exists in Jesus Christ is also present in my life just simply because I know Him and because I'm His child. And so tonight we will be encouraged that though we walk through a valley and though we go through times where, man, it seems like we're just, just great discouragement or times where things get really difficult, let me remind you that we can be encouraged because of the power of God that works in us. Paul states that he wasn't content merely to know about this power. He wanted to personally experience the power of God. Look at a couple of scriptures with me. 2 Peter 1.3 He says, uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 3, According as he, his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. We see here that, that God is reminding us that through the power of God we, we are able to have life and godliness. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 I, I'm not sure if that's going to... I think it's just the text up there, the, the location. So turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5 as we look at this. It says, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing the words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the uh, Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the, in the power of God. Building below the baseline in our life requires that each of us uh, sees God's power at work means that we ought to personally experience the manifestation of God's power at work through our relationship with Him. So we see God's, knowing God's person, God knowing His power, and also, thirdly, knowing His presence. Well, there's nothing like that, is there? Think about that old song, He Lives. I know He lives. Why? Because He walks with me and He talks with me. Philippians 3.10 finishes up and it says, and the, uh, that I may know Him and the power of his suffering, uh, and excuse me, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The word fellowship speaks of communion. It it means uh, literally to commune with Jesus Christ. Paul had such a deep abiding relationship with Christ that even as he penned these words uh, from prison, he realized that even in the midst of his sufferings, that it gave him a venue of growing closer with his Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we agonize over uh, the situation we find ourselves in, and sometimes, no doubt, there, we get some hard knocks from life. But as we go through these different sufferings and we go through these different problems, I'm reminded that God reminds us through his word that uh, the suffering are tools that allow us to be able to experience the presence of God in our lives. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. I'm always so encouraged by Hebrews 4. And I consider uh, Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 one of, some of my favorite verses uh, because we're reminded of the fact that uh, Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, has experienced what we've experienced, has been through what we're, we've been through, and he offers mercy and grace to help. Let's look at this scripture. For we have not an high priest which cannot be 
touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The deepest moments of our fellowship with Christ are truly the times of the most intense suffering. Suffering drives us to seek God's presence, doesn't it? When we find in Him a a merciful and high priest, we recognize that He is also a faithful friend who feels our pain. He's a sympathetic companion who faced all the trials and temptations that we have faced. And we are invited to boldly come to His throne and find grace to help in time of need because He knows the feeling of our infirmities. Paul didn't give up in the midst of his suffering because he recognized that it was through this suffering that God's presence became the most real. In the early 1400s, John Huss was a Catholic priest and he was appointed in Prague at Bethlehem, uh, in the Bethlehem Chapel. And through the preaching of John Wycliffe, Huss began to see the error of the Catholic Church in in preaching salvation by works. And so Huss began to boldly preach the truth of salvation by grace alone to his congregation. This gained the attention of uh, of people, and and he drew big crowds, and his result was many were saved. But listen, the Pope wasn't satisfied that this was happening, and so the Pope promised uh, forgiveness of sins to all who supported the Pope's leadership. But listen... Huss didn't cower from being, uh, from, uh, from being able to point out the fallacy of this Pope's declaration. And he stated that only Jesus Christ can offer remission of sins. And so this caused great suffering for John Huss. And, imagine, and a matter of fact, he was burned at the stake because of his refusal to comply to the Catholic Church's teachings. As the wood was lit and the flames licked his body, Huss cried out, What I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. Lord, I commend my spirit to you. John Huss knew that the fellowship of suffering with Christ, like Paul, he did not seek to elude the suffering nor nor folds of pressure, but instead he knew that his foundation ran deeper and and that uh, through the suffering he would draw closer to Jesus Christ. When we have an abiding presence with Christ, And when we know and when we can come to Him and we can experience uh, something far deeper than just a surface level understanding of who He is and His power and His presence in our life, then we realize that He sustains us in the midst of the most difficult circumstances that we face. And so let me just encourage you just to to continue to build upon the foundation of your faith. We we see secondly in in Philippians chapter 3 the formation of faith here. The formation of faith. In in Philippians chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, we're going to see here, it says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. When a relationship with with God becomes an intricate part of our foundation, we begin to grow in faith and grow in our faith. Think about through the years. We have some, some, incredibly, uh, some incredible Christians in our congregation. Uh, some of you have been saved longer than I've been, been alive. Uh, some of you have been saved for a very short time, but you're, you've grown so much. And it all comes back to this, 
desire to build a relationship with God. You've you put in the time to build that relationship. And, and you know, just like we get excited about the, those that have just come to Christ, we should also be excited about those who are sustained in Christ. Those that have been saved for more than 50 years. How many have been saved for more than 50 years tonight? Amen. Look, look, keep them up, keep them up. Amen. That is amazing. Uh, more than half of our congregation in our, in our midst tonight has been saved more than 50 years. What a great testimony. Now, you know already what I'm already talking about, is that when you go through trials or when you go through anything, that God has reminded us that He is right there and, and uh, your faith has been built below the baseline so that no matter what may come, you've been able to remain faithful. Think about the, a, new tri- a new newborn. Ladies love newborns. I think when newborns come out, they all look the same. They've all got ten toes and ten fingers. They've all got, a, well, most of them anyway. They all got hands and feet, and they, you know, they, they all just all look the same. I mean, I, I go, as a matter of fact, I, when our first one was born, I went and I looked at the babies and I said, because they had them behind the glass, and you have to have to pick out which one's yours. I think it's a test to see how good the dad is. And I'm standing there at the glass, and, and I'm thinking, I know one of those is mine. I just don't know which one. I, they all look the same to me. I couldn't figure it out. But, you know, ba- the babies are so loved by, by ladies, and, and ladies want to know how much did it weigh, and how long was it, and did you have any complications, and how was your pregnancy, and, you know, all this stuff. And they want to know what color the hair is, if they have any hair, what color are the eyes, and you're like, it is, I have no idea. It's a baby. It was born. It's alive. Hallelujah, you know. Us guys were a little bit more dense. Amen, men? But, you know, six months down the road, we, if, if you looked at that baby and that baby was still the same size and that baby was, had not grown any, would you be worried? Even somebody as dense as me would be a little bit worried. I, you know, I, it would be easy to recognize that there's a problem with this newborn baby. You know, six months later, it should be able to develop, maybe sitting up on its own or maybe, maybe just starting to, to, to hold its head up or whatever its progression may be. All children are a little bit different. But we would recognize that, that there would be some serious issues there, but there definitely should be some growth. But you know, in salvation, we should expect the same thing. You know, not everyone, if, you're, if you were saved and you've never grown and you're still that babe in Christ, then there's something wrong. There's no foundation there for you. And let me just encourage you, build on the foundation. Build that foundation. Before you build up, you need to build down. Build deep into the Word of God. Build deep in your walk with the Lord. And just really get the, the experience of knowing Christ far more than anything else. Far more than exterior polish. Listen, exterior polish will rub off. But that abiding presence that runs deep through uh, your relationship with Christ, that's what sustains us. We're promised a resurrection. Isn't this, I'm just encouraged that one day, no matter what may come, it's going to get better for me. You know, the best is yet to come. I guarantee that. Every day, you know, as you get older, you recognize there's a few more aches, a few more pains, a few more issues, and maybe you have loved ones that are sick or that have gone on before. Let me remind you, as a believer, the best is yet to come. I have greater and greater things to look forward to. And so as we, uh, as we think about that, and that's ev- eventually will be resurrected there. But listen, there's also a spiritual resurrection that happened the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ. 
Look at this, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What's that word quickened mean, church? Made alive, amen. He says, you were dead, but now you're alive. Man, that's what the resurrection has done for us in our life already. If you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you've gone from dead to life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. And even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We who were once the dead are now made alive through Christ. Far too many Christians are, are still uh, spiritual babies because they've never learned to truly develop that relationship. The relationship with the Holy Spirit, the relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, we need to, we need to dig deep and to allow the Lord to, to grow our life. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in, what is that word? In me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We see here, uh, we're reminded in Galatians chapter 2, that because of uh, Christ's abiding presence in our life, we should be growing. Amen? We should be uh, building and, and allowing that foundation to continue to run deep. Experiencing Christ uh, living through us demands a reckoning of our lives as dead unto sin and live unto Christ. Romans chapter 6 and 11, he talks about this uh, in, in Romans 6, and we talk about this especially with baptism. The picture of baptism, as, as we're baptized, we say uh, that they are dead to sin, and now they're alive unto Christ. And so, and this is what he says in Romans 6, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So many times people are saved, but man, it's hard to let go of that old carnal lifestyle. So many times people are saved, but they're, it's hard to let go of, of, of that old life. And let me just encourage you, if you're a brand new babe in Christ, uh, man, to let go of those things. And let, uh, to let go of the dead life and live unto Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 1 says, If ye be risen with Christ, remember, you've been made alive. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let God remind you of this resurrection that He has placed in your life. Secondly, we see the process of transformation. God wants to take you and, and transform you. Like a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly, He wants us to uh, arrive at the destination that he, is, uh, he desires for us. The, the word to have, uh, to have attained in, that is used in this verse means literally to come to or to have arrived. Paul is not bragging over his status with Christ. He's not saying, look at me, I've arrived and I look at my perfection. But instead, it is his statement of humility. Because of what Christ has done, because of what Christ does in our life, he, is, he, he will be completed on that day that he calls him home. Look, look, a Christian's transformation doesn't happen at once. It's a process, isn't it? It's a process, and it takes time. And, and as we develop our life in Jesus Christ, we see that, that over and over and over, our daily, our daily walk with Him, we see that it develops this issue of transformation. We become into the, uh, to the likeness of Christ. I like this statement that I read. Nearness is likeness. If a Christian is developing a foundational relationship with Christ, he's drawing nearer to Him he will take on the likeness of Christ. Are you, 
Are you in the Word of God? Are you, are you around godly people? Are you being encouraged? Are, are you near the Lord in your life? Many times we've seen young men, uh, oftentimes rebellious young men will say, I'm, I'm not staying here, you can't make me, I'm going to go to join the military, do what I want to do, you know? And these guys will leave home and they've got uh, maybe long hair and they're rebellious and, and you see all these, these outward uh, evidence of rebellion and, and they're gone for nine, sometimes 12 weeks, maybe longer. They come back from boot camp and, and they look totally different, don't they? They walk upright, they... they uh, have a different attitude, their presence is different, they, they're a totally different person. They speak with respect, they speak with clarity, they look you in the eye, it's a, you can tell that something has changed in them in, in their life. What happened? Nearness is likeness. Probably got tired of being yelled at by the drill instru instructor, but you know, nearness is likeness. He got around that environment of, of rigor, and he got around that environment uh, of where people were training him, and he allowed his life to come in submission to those things. And when we spend time with the Lord, and we spend time in God's Word, and we spend time with God's people, and, and let me remind you that Christ's likeness will begin to reflect it, be reflected in our lives as well. This is sometimes like spiritual boot camp, isn't it? We get to become more like Jesus Christ. When I get to come to church, I get to be reminded that God is making me into what He wants me to be. Romans 8, 29 reminds us of this truth. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to do what? To be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose for every Christian in here is to be conformed into his image. People say, well, I just need to find myself. I just need to know God's purpose for my life. I can tell you God's purpose right now. Be like Jesus Christ. It's that simple. God desires for each of us to experience this process of transformation. The dead man is old, and now I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And so even before you were born, God knew that this was your purpose. And so let me just uh, encourage each of us tonight that to follow God's predetermined plan for your life, to be made into the, in the image of Christ. Our transformation is finally complete when we stand before the Lord. Boy, what a day that will be, won't it? When we finally stand before our Lord and Savior, uh, boy, it, we will finally be truly reflected, uh, be a, a mirror image of Jesus Christ. To apprehend means literally to seize or be taken. Paul is proclaiming in, in Philippians 3.12 that he is going after that goal of Christ's likeness. He's going to seize it. He's going to make sure that he uh, is not going to stop pursuing it until he is completely taken by Jesus Christ. He says, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What's transformation look like in your life? Are you becoming, uh, do you look like Christ? Are you, is his image uh, being increasingly evident in your life? It never stops, does it? You know, when we think about uh, people who've been saved for 50 years in this room, have you arrived yet? No, thank you, brother. You haven't arrived, have you? You're still working to attain that, but one of these days we will stand before our Lord and we will be a mirror image. It will be a glorious day and it will be a great thing. And I don't, I don't think I've got quite enough time for this tonight, so I'm going to save this for next week. But let me just encourage you. Are you building in your foundation? 
Are you helping the foundation of your life to be rock solid? Because we're reminded that when, when someone isn't uh, rooted and grounded in their faith, that they're blown around with every wind of doctrine. Our desire for you, my desire for you, my hope and prayer is that God would help you to remain uh, just steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Man, when the, when the trials of life come, are you rooted in Him? When the, when the uh, doctor comes in the room and says, boy, it seems like you're not going to make it, where is your faith at that point? When the, when the stock market crashes, I don't think too many of us in here are too worried about that. But let me just remind you, no matter what happens financially, when our faith is in Him, there's no worries for us, is there? He's in control. And so, church, let me just encourage you, as we move forward by faith and as we desire God to do great things, let's make sure above everything else we sink a good foundation. This can't, this can't happen on Sunday morning. This happens Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Friday morning and Saturday morning. Every day of the week, this is you and me choosing to say, God, my foundation has got to be in you above everything else. My preacher will preach and he'll try to love and encourage me, but if you're going to have a good foundation, it's going to be your choice.